Thank you so much. Let's go to the book of Proverbs this morning. Proverbs has a lesson for us. Proverbs 16 and verse 18. Brother Paul, verse 18. Proverbs 16, verse 18 reads, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. I want to thank all those who uh, prayed for me uh, last Sunday when I was sick. Uh, tumbling, being sick. Uh, for those that don't know, I, uh, I had a vertigo episode, my first. You know, the whole spinning room, uh, nausea, blurred vision thing. I had no idea it was coming. All my plans for the day were in place. Uh, I was showered, about to get dressed, when hit in an instant. Uh, and that was that. Thankfully, there was a doctor available and I was able to get treatment within a few hours. But I had this week to reflect on the whole episode and, and just how I arrived at that place of, of vertigo. Uh, it could have been an ear infection, but the doctor said there was nothing detected there. Most likely, according to the doctor, it was a combination of dehydration through a lack of water, uh, overdoing it, and lots of caffeine. Uh, who doesn't love a good coffee, right? There's a second doctor to tell me about the coffee, though. Uh, I'd also had time to retrace my steps leading up to Sunday morning. There was door knocking on Saturday morning, which was the start of our hot spell, right? And that was followed by... A uh, quick stop in at a garage sale on the way home, then a crazy busy afternoon, which included an outing with Caitlin, walking the dog, chores, dinner, prep for Sunday, all up about 18,000 plus steps, according to my Fitbit. Now, from breakfast on Sunday, I reckon I had about two, maybe three glasses of water and three cups of coffee. Now, as we all know, the coffee is a diuretic uh, and actually cancelled out the water, so it's no wonder I was dehydrated. So why didn't you drink more water and less coffee, brother? Well, thinking about it this week, it, it just came down to one word, and that's pride. I reckon I was just going to be fine. I didn't want to drink loads of water because a toilet trip would interrupt our door knocking. So let's give that a miss. I didn't want to, but I wanted to stay alert, so let's not miss the coffee. And, and then you get busy, right? Is it just me? By the way, where was God in all of that? Did you notice how many decisions I made myself? How often do we allow pride to rule our lives, determine our decision making, and then we complain about a poor outcome? This morning I want to look at this issue of pride from Scripture. It's the sin that God hates, by the way. In Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 17, of the six things mentioned that God hates... Yea, seven are an abomination to him. The first one is a proud look. There it is, pride. And as we are all in a spiritual battle, we want to look a bit closer at this issue through the life of one of Israel's brightest and best, King Hezekiah. So let's pray again and we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this opportunity to be in your house this morning. We ask, Lord, that you'll fill us with your Holy Spirit as we open your word, lead and guide, that we might learn something from your word this morning that we can apply practically to our lives so that we can be a blessing to others and give glory to you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So as we're studying the topic of pride this morning, 
keep in mind the question, what is pride keeping you from? What is pride keeping you from? That's the title of my message. Notice firstly that Hezekiah was one of the few good kings of Israel. The story of good king Hezekiah is actually told three times in scripture. In 2 Kings 18 to 20, 2 Chronicles 29 to 32 and again in Isaiah 36 to 39. So God wants us to learn some things, right? He was 25 years old when he began to reign and he reigned for 29 years in Judah. It was around 700 BC and archaeology has confirmed all of that. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea and Micah were all prophets that prophesied during his reign. Hezekiah was bold enough to tear down the high places in the land where idolatry was practiced, according to 2 Kings 18.4. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Kings 18.3, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. That's pretty impressive. Under Hezekiah, the temple worship was restored, according to 2 Chronicles 29. The observance of the Passover was restored in 2 Chronicles 30. He was a good king. Now most of us here this morning would like to think of ourselves as being good people. We're in church for a start. That's a step up on the majority of Australia's population. Good on you for making the effort to be in church today. I know that some with little kids or battling illnesses, it's a supreme effort just to get here. So may God grant you a blessing from his word today. Keep doing right. Secondly, in doing right, Hezekiah saw the miraculous workings of God. The Bible records in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 13, that in the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, came up against Israel. Not wanting a battle, Hezekiah sent tribute money to Sennacherib in an effort to calm him down. All the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. At that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah king of Judah had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. It was an effort to keep the wolf from the door. But Sennacherib was some warrior. He took all of the fortified cities around Jerusalem and in Judea in quick succession and then came up against Jerusalem. And it wasn't enough for Sennacherib to have all of these things He wanted the people to stop trusting in the Lord. But King Hezekiah refused. There will come a time in our Christian lives when people close to us will call into question our trust in the Lord. It may be in the number of children that you want. It may be in an area of child training and education that you're trying to implement. It may be waiting for the right life partner or choosing a career. It could be serving God somewhere on a foreign field or stepping out by faith and taking the path as a pastor. What will you do when a Sennacherib is knocking on your doorstep? Here's what Hezekiah did. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 19 and verses 1 to 7. 2 Kings chapter 19 verses 1 to 7. Sennacherib's there. And it came to pass, this is verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 19, and it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he set Eliakim, which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, 
and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy. Is that not today? A time of trouble, rebuke and blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be the Lord thy God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria his master hath sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. So the servants of king Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumour, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Now drop down to verse 14, 2 Kings 19. And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers. It wasn't good news. And he read it, and Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. And as we read, if you read on later in 2 Kings 19.35, God delivers Jerusalem from the hands of Sennacherib by sending that blast. It was the angels into their camp which slew 185,000 of their men in one night. And Sennacherib did hear a rumour, Sennacherib did go back, and Sennacherib was slain. What a victory. Wow. And all because Hezekiah trusted God. How many potential victories do we squander because we fail to trust God? Oh yes, we know and trust God to handle the really big things of life, but surely... He we can handle the little things cropping up day and night. Surely we don't need to bring everything to God. We don't need him to find that car spot in the shopping centre. We can just go in there and it'll be there. Do we? We need to trust God. And thirdly, Hezekiah was a great man of prayer. A great man of prayer. Second Kings chapter 20, just a little bit further over. Second Kings chapter 20, verses 1 to 7. Studying the life of good King Hezekiah this morning. And we find here in, in these verses that he becomes gravely ill. In those days he was, Hezekiah was sick unto death and the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order for thou shalt die and not live. Well that's it, isn't it? Game over. And then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord saying, I beseech you, O Lord, remember now how... I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass 
for Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again, and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee on the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. And I will add unto thy days fifteen years, and will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs, and they took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord for deliverance and was restored to health. From Hezekiah we learn that prayer can change things. In James chapter 5 verse 16, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And in John, 1 John 3:22, And whatsoever we ask we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. What prayers do you need answered right now? God is waiting to hear our prayers. But also notice Hezekiah's kingdom was ultimately brought down. He looked so good, he did so well, but it was ultimately brought down by his own pride. We find that after Sennacherib was sent packing, Hezekiah began to glory in the riches of Jerusalem. One of the sons of the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and Hezekiah showed him all of his wealth. We turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 39. Isaiah chapter 39. And verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 39. Records this event. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. And Hezekiah was glad of them and showed them the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armour and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Isaiah then came to Hezekiah and told him that because he had done this thing, that Babylon would carry away everything. Isaiah 39, verses 3 to 8. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto king Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. Then said he, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All that is in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, love to have been a fly on the wall. Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And then said Hezekiah to Isaiah in a remarkable statement, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. Well, we've got to be so careful with this problem of pride. 
Hezekiah provides an object lesson of Proverbs 16:18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. To some degree, pride enters into all Satan's temptations. Ye shall be as God was part of his offer to Eve. When Satan tempted our Lord, he tried to appeal to human pride. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and verses 8 to 9. And this is uh, the devil taking him up. Again, the devil taketh him up to an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, saith to Jesus, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And this is one of the great dangers of success. Those to whom much is given will find themselves drawn into and fighting intense spiritual battles. Yes, more than one against pride. Pride glorifies man and robs God of the glory that only he deserves. And it is a weapon that Satan uses with great skill. Which explains why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. What was so wrong about a grateful Hezekiah showing off the blessings of God upon his life. Here was someone genuinely concerned when he heard that Hezekiah had fallen ill. And it was an opportunity to show a believer, an unbeliever, that God can heal and restore over and above. But when Hezekiah showed off his riches, he did it for his own glory and not the glory of God. There's no record that Hezekiah said, this is all the Lord's doing, it is marvellous in our eyes. No, it was pride that motivated Hezekiah's actions. Satan got hold of Hezekiah's will, inflated his ego and led him into sin. Satan knew that Hezekiah was feeling victorious and important and he took advantage of the situation. And his tactics haven't changed today. Beloved, we are still in the same spiritual battle. Satan desires to destroy you and I. He would love nothing better than to destroy this church and others like it here in Australia. Don't miss this. These are important lessons to learn from it for our spiritual well-being. Pride is one of Satan's chief weapons. If he can get a foothold, he will launch an attack that will lead to destruction in some area of your life. The greatest mistakes of my life have been made because of pride. Why does Satan use this? Well, let's think about it. Man is a dependent creature. We must depend on God and other human beings to stay alive. The essence of sin is to seek to be independent of God. In essence, it is to make ourselves the creator instead of the creatures, according to Romans 1.25. It is to believe Satan's lie that you will be like God. If Satan can get you and I to act and think independently of God's will, then he can control our will and our life. I think I've seen movies about that. You will think that you are acting freely, which is actually part of Satan's deception. 
but you'll be acting under orders from the ruler of this world. The will of God is the most important thing in the believer's life. As the great deceiver, Satan seeks to make you ignorant of God's will. And as the destroyer, he seeks to make you impatient with God's will. In both cases, the will of God will not be at work in your life. But even if Satan does not deceive your mind and make you ignorant or attack your body and make you impatient, he will try to control your will through pride so that you will think and act independently of the holy will of God. This is why this whole month we're talking about being in a spiritual battle. This is the theme of our preaching this month is that we are, have to recognise and wake up, if you like, to the fact that we are in a spiritual battle. So what is Satan deceiving you about this morning? Could it be in the area of salvation? Satan would love nothing better than for you to stay independent of God. Don't let him deceive you into the place described in the Bible as hell. Come to Jesus this morning and trust in him for salvation. And if you are already saved, then what about the area of surrender and submission to the will of God? Whenever you and I act in direct disobedience to the will of God, we are displaying pride. It might not seem like a great matter to us. In fact, we might consider it to be trivial and unimportant. But everything in our lives is important to God. His holy word is filled with precepts, principles and promises that guide us as we seek to know his will. Lastly this morning, God gave King Hezekiah a new lease on life. An extra 15 years of life were added to Hezekiah. How did he use it? Not very wisely, I'm afraid. He set up Judah as a prime target for the Babylonian invasion. He also became the father of Israel's most evil king, Manasseh, who, amongst other wicked things, is credited with the gruesome execution of the prophet Isaiah. Hezekiah cleared the way for Judah to plunge back into idolatry and immorality, ultimately to the forfeiting of their right to the land God had given them. Beloved, the subtle sin of pride keeps feeding itself and getting stronger and it eventually leads to painful consequences. When we rebel against God and go it alone, we can't expect him to run in and rescue us so we can escape from that situation scot-free. God in his grace does forgive our sins but God in his sovereignty must permit sin to run its course and produce its natural results. There's no way to escape the fact we reap what we sow. Perhaps Hezekiah knew this and that would explain why he didn't try to sneak out of the mess that he created. When the prophet Isaiah revealed to King Hezekiah the damage that would unfold because of the king's foolishness, Hezekiah responded, the word of the Lord that you have said spoken is good but he also added the thought at least there will be peace and security in my days and that complete lack of concern that just is mind-boggling his complete lack of concern for his unholy legacy and the destiny of his descendants is bewildering to say the least when a child of God is indifferent to the consequences of their choices on the next generation it's a pathetic sight and if we learn nothing else from this message, we must learn today, right now, we cannot be independent of God, no matter how we duck and weave. 
as pastor would say, God has your number. We need God's provision of salvation to ensure a home in heaven rather than a place within Satan's fiery tomb. As believers, we need God's provision to sustain us physically and God's will and God's word to sustain us spiritually. Success, the praise of man and even the blessings of God can so boost our egos that we think we can get along without God. Because when you feel you've arrived, beware, red flag. When you feel you're very important that God could not get along without you, beware, red flag. When you start to rob God of the glory that belongs only to him, another red flag. So how are we going to combat this? How, how do we combat the sin of pride? What are our weapons of choice? Pride is such a strong weapon uh, and Satan is such a strong adversary that only a stronger power can give us the victory. And that power comes from the Holy Spirit of God. Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians chapter 2. And you can use this, you can use the Holy Spirit to overcome all sorts of things. When that doctor said to me, no more caffeine, I went, okay, that's a second, that's a second warning, no more caffeine. That's it, no more caffeine. And people are looking at me going, you're, you're kidding, how can you just give up coffee like that? How can you stop the caffeine like that? Six, seven days, I'm still standing. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can overcome these things. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Only God, the Holy Spirit, working in you, can control your will and enable you to please God. Work out your salvation does not mean work for your salvation because salvation is a free gift purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To work out your salvation means to bring your Christian life to completion to accomplish his character and conduct what God has planned for you. God loves you and has a definite plan for your life. Our job is to cooperate with God in fulfilling that plan. According to Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, there are three works involved in the Christian life. It reads, and we should go there as well, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10. Three works involved in the Christian life. It reads, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So the first work that Paul names here is salvation, the work that God does for you. This work was completed by Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. In John 17, 4, Jesus said, I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. The apostle whom Jesus loved noted in John 19:30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And in Hebrews 10:12, it is written, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, 
sat down on the right hand of God. Everything else that God does in your life is based on this finished work of Christ. So that's the first work, salvation. The second work is sanctification, the work that God does in you. Salvation is just the beginning, but it must be followed by spiritual growth. Growing grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ is uh, in 2 Peter 3.18. And this leads to the third work, which is service. The work that God does through you. Now God works in you that he might work through you and accomplish the tasks that he's already prepared for you. It's not necessary for us to manufacture things to do for God. He already has a perfect plan for our lives and special works that he wants us to fulfil for his glory. And of course, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in, the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is how God works in us. And what have we got to do to see the Spirit of God work in us? Let's go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You're being very good students at the Word this morning. In verse 1 of Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Holy Spirit can work in our lives when our mind, body and will is yielded to him. And these are the very areas that Satan wants to attack. He wants to attack your body with suffering so that you are impatient with God's will. It's not happening. He wants to attack your mind with lies that make you ignorant of God's will. I didn't realise. And he wants to attack your will with pride to make you independent of God's will. I can do it on my own. If we yield to these three areas of our lives daily to the Spirit of God, then the Spirit will empower us to defeat the devil. As the Spirit of grace, he will give grace to our bodies so that we are able to endure suffering to the glory of God. As the spirit of wisdom, he will teach us God's word and bring it into our minds when Satan attacks with lies. And as the spirit of power, he will empower us, our will, to say no to pride or any other sin, if you want to name it. The Holy Spirit will work in us and through us to defeat the wicked one. Remember, in the battle against Satan, the only way to conquer is actually to surrender. Surrender to God. In James chapter 4 and verse 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And that's why he said in verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When God's spirit is at work in us, he produces humility and not pride. Now humility is not thinking that we are worthless and we can't do anything and we should just walk around with our head buried in the sand. No, it's just simply not thinking of ourselves at all. The Christian must be honest with himself and Jesus others you is where that comes in. We've got to be honest with ourselves and with God. That's why Romans 12.3 is in the Bible. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. The humble person knows that all he has comes from God and must be given back to God. 
John the Baptist realised this and was inspired to write, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. We must not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. If someone praises you for something you've done, glory to God. Amen. Glory to God. So when Satan comes with pride to attack our will, we need to surrender immediately to the Holy Spirit and let him work in us to produce humility and submission before God. And do not attempt to go beyond your gifts or the faith you have to exercise those gifts because Satan can even use your spiritual gifts to make you proud. That's why James 4.10 is in the Bible. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon noted, and I'll close with this, Charles Spurgeon noted, but for pride the angels in hell would still be in heaven. But for pride, Nebuchadnezzar would have remained in his palace and not have eaten grass. But for pride, Pharaoh would have stayed with his nobles and not been destroyed. But for pride, the Pharisees would have received Jesus Christ as gently as his disciples and not been rebuked. But for pride, Herod would have worshipped Christ as humbly as the shepherds and not fallen on the sword. Beloved, let me ask you this morning, but for pride, what is holding you back? Don't be fooled by the devil in this spiritual battle. Submit to Christ today. Is it in the area of salvation? Is that where the devil is holding you back? Oh, if I, if I submit, if I get saved, I'll have to change my life. No, Christ will change your life when you get saved. I'm standing here as a different person today than before I was saved. And that is only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing that I did. Is it in the area of service? What's holding you back from serving? Understand people get old and they get ill. Example A. But there's something that you can do. And we discussed that a lot in our Life Stages men's class this year. There's always something that you can do in the service of Christ. What about the area of forgiveness? Is the devil holding you back? from forgiving that person that you need to forgive because that's holding you back spiritually as well or you've got that block sitting in front of you and you just need the Holy Spirit to break through it witnessing what's holding you back Satan's holding you back he doesn't want you to go out there he doesn't want to share your testimony with anybody he doesn't want you to speak up say anything of course not that's holding you back and prayer what's holding you back from prayer that's our greatest weapon. Amen. We should be praying one for another. Just like we prayed for the Shallow Bear Church this morning, we need to be praying one for another. There are needs everywhere you look. So this morning, let's, let's submit ourselves to Jesus Christ and let's humble ourselves because he was our example. What a great example of humility was the Lord Jesus.